0: Welcome everybody to another interview with a data scientist with me Richard Carter, data scientist at the Data Lab in Scotland. Today I'm very pleased to be joined by Dave Evans, his data science team lead at FreeAgent.
1: Nice nice to be here Richard, thanks. Great to see you
0: Dave. So I know uh, from previous meetings that we've had and chatting to you that got a very interesting background maybe we could start with that and uh, you come from a physics background and, and a real kind of hardcore particle physics background so yeah. I wonder if you could just tell us uh, a bit about uh, your previous academic
1: life. Sure Yeah. So I mean I think common to uh, quite a few people working in, in data science these days I, s- I started off in physics I did an undergraduate degree in uh, in, in physics and I obviously didn't know uh, what was what was good for me and I decided to carry on and I, I, did, a, I did a PhD in particle physics at Bristol I think I was I was attracted by well it was a very popular topic at the at the time there was lots of opportunities to get involved with things like machine learning and data analysis on large data sets and also what was really attractive was the, the chance to go and move abroad and work as part of a big international collaboration in uh, in Geneva mm-hmm. at, at CERN which I which I actually did so I was over there for a couple of years at the end of my PhD met a lot of interesting people got to work on a lot of interesting things out there and then uh, she still didn't know <laughs> what was what was good for me, and decided to uh, to do a postdoc. Yeah, so you, you took the postdoc over in in San Diego. Is that That's right? right. Yeah, yeah. So I had the opportunity. I mean, my, one of my old uh, advisors when I was doing my PhD had worked with some of the group in San Diego, and he was a postdoc, and he'd sort of recommended them to me or me to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so I ended up going out to to San Diego for about six months and, and living out there. That was really really fascinating sort of living in Southern California. I've never actually been to the US before. I went out, went out there to, to start the job. And then after that went back to CERN for about four years. Mm-hmm. And that was around the time the LHC was starting up after the, the previous, uh, previously there'd been some problems with the machine. So when it really started up for real, that's when I was going back out there. And uh, that was a really, really great experience, really good sort of buzz, you know, lots of really interesting things going on and over, the, over those next sort of four years I got to participate in some of the first physics measurements that were done and then went on to sort of join the Higgs group and I worked on one of the one of the three main Higgs channels that were used for the discovery in 2012.
0: Yeah, so I have to say for the listeners that uh, Dave has my most respect because you are one of the named authors on the paper for the discovery of the Higgs boson
1: yeah, along with about 3,000 others in my collaboration you shouldn't really uh, have to mention that <laughs> if, you, if you keep scrolling down I'm, I'm definitely there uh, <laughs> along, along with a few others And I mean I had the chance to go to a couple of conferences towards the end of my postdoc and present some of the work so that was a really nice chance to sort of you know to, to give my own my own take on things and present present things in my own words as well as the the work that i did the contributions to the papers yeah so i guess i mean from the little
0: that i know about that field um, when we talk or used to talk a couple of years ago about big data i mean the data that came out of CERN really exceeded most data that anybody would ever see in a lifetime
1: yeah so the, the data sets we had were really huge because what in effect we were looking for really rare signals you know against a huge background of more mundane processes or it might be uh, you know be interesting to say that the actual analyses that we did we typically just did on our laptops at the end of the day so it was really all about clever sort of reduction strategies using our knowledge of the, the underlying physics to be able to build hardware and software that could sort of filter that data down to something that was manageable without losing the uh, the signals that we were after mm-hmm. and also keeping you know useful control regions to be able to identify you know what was unusual versus what was just a sort of normal normal background
0: and and the tools that you were using because this was um, not not the, the kind of usual data scientist toolkit of the kind of R and Python. What what were you using? Yeah, back then?
1: so at CERN we we used a, a bit of software called ROOT that would probably make maybe make some of the people listening to this podcast shudder a little bit <laughs> in, in terror, which was based on it was a sort of C based data analysis library. There's actually a, a Python wrapper around it that a lot of people use nowadays, which things a little bit more friendly but uh, back then I was mainly I was mainly working with uh, with code in C++ and some of the machine learning libraries we were using back then I, d- I doubt if anybody outside of the field <laughs> would have heard of.
0: So you did this for, for a number of years uh, um, at what, CERN. What was it that kind of led you to wanting to leave academia and, and come uh, into the commercial
1: world? Well I think I think a lot of the promise of the LHC was that you know when it was turned on there, there were a lot of Questions in physics that you know didn't have good answers with the known known models at the time. So it was it was quite widely believed or hoped that when the the LHC turned on, lots of interesting new and unexplained physics would pop out. But that's that's not really the way it, the way it panned out. You know, we observed what was con- consistent with a standard model Higgs boson, and we observed other things more or less where we expected them to be. So it wasn't it wasn't as interesting as I'd expected it to be so I think towards the end I was a bit You know, a little bit disillusioned with where the field was going and I wanted to have the chance, I think, to to do well, to do something totally different and uh, have more of an individual contribution, make more of an impact myself, so after going from, you know, working in, in, in in groups of sort of, you know, 50, 100 people working on rather rather specific problems, you know, the little details I think I was more interested in going to a completely different field and then and then being able to take something and sort of shape it a bit more myself
0: so free agent, where you're at now, is the is the first and only job you've had commercially uh, from leaving academia. What, what, how did you find that job, and um, so what brought you to uh,
1: to Scotland? Yeah, so so actually, I mean, when I was when I was looking for jobs, I was applying for a few different things, some more traditional organisations and some some startups, and I found free agent really appealing, both because of because of Edinburgh. I mean, I visited previously; I'd had friends who lived up here before, so far it oh, could be a really nice place to live. Hmm. And you know, obviously, the connection with the universities was really appealing and just the, the general scene around here. Uh, I think free agent itself, wh- when, I, when I was uh, a bit younger, I'd, I'd done a, a little bit of consulting work and I'd, I'd been wondering for a little while before I started my PhD if I wanted to turn that into a business or you know carry on with my studies. And I mean, one of the things that put me off going down the business route was I, I didn't know the first thing about finance or accounting. You know, so when I heard about this company, it's like, oh, well, their business is taking the stress out of small business finances. That's a a problem that people really have. And so... We should say, uh, because we
0: haven't actually covered that yet for the listeners, uh, what free agent is and and what the company does.
1: Yeah, so as I said, I think think free agent's mission, in a way, is to take the stress out of finance and accounting for, for small businesses so we focus on micro businesses so that might be one or two person sole traders or or limited co- uh, one or two person limited companies or sole traders mm-hmm. and the aim is to get you know to give them a suite of tools that allow them to focus on doing what they love doing mm-hmm. you know rather than the mundane bookkeeping and and compliance mm-hmm. so it's it's a problem that that a lot of people have in the UK economy there's about uh, close to 5 million mm-hmm. uh, businesses of which you know, 95% are in that sort of micro business sector by number. So it's a huge market. And when you
0: joined there in 2013, I think the business had been going for six years already, but you were the first data scientist into the business. So how how was that both for you coming from academia, but also for the business, like hiring their first data scientist? I would imagine from both sides that was uh, some changes were required or unexpected uh, outcomes maybe.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it was. I think it was. It was definitely for me a really sort of eye-opening experience. I mean, I was actually hired into the marketing team originally, so I was the sort of almost the the one technical person uh, working together with a bunch of people in marketing. And I've never really worked with marketing people before, so that was quite a, quite an experience for me. And I certainly put my foot in it numerous numerous occasions. Too many, too many to mention, really. But you know, in the end, it was great because I really came out with an understanding of what they were trying to achieve and how they think about things and what problems they have you know and how we as sort of technical people can can help them you know can enable people to make good decisions in the business even around something you might think is rather fluffy mm. you know like like marketing although over time I mean obviously I was exposed to other parts of the business as well I got involved in studies you know with sales and with finance and you know with some of the other sort of corporate functions mm-hmm. and thinking about some of the product features and product development that's being done in engineering so over the first few years I really got to to get to know everyone in the company and sort of have quite a lot of influence over decisions that were made
0: I guess that's the benefit isn't it of going to a smaller company that you do get this uh, more general oversight of a lot of the different business yeah. functions and then you can then add even more value over time because you then and start to understand how different pieces fit together and and you can can cross those divides maybe. So in in marketing, can you tell us like an example uh, perhaps of one of the projects that you would have started working on? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, one of the first things I started working on was sort of industry classification. So when uh, a customer signs up to free agent, we we give them the, the rather open opportunity to describe their business in a free text field. So one of the first things I started working on was some sort of text clustering to try to find you know what were the industry segments that uh, that used free agent and that's actually a project that you know we're still working on now it's a thing that is continual amount of refinement even after these sort of five years or so because it's really key to our business.
0: Are there not uh, general uh, ontologies of, of businesses or this is something that you had to create yourself.
1: We, we did a mixture of comparing with sort of existing lists and de- defining. There's two ways of looking at it, right? You can either take a pre-existing list like the SIC codes, you know, there's an equivalent in North America, or you can say, all right, we'll let the data tell us who the groups are. And I think in reality, you have to use a bit of both because although you, you might say, well, it's just it's just your standard uh, industry classification codes that the government use, but actually given our customer base, the, the variation is much... Uh, Wider within particular categories, so a lot of our customers tend to be, you know, web web uh, web designers or IT consultants, things along those kind of lines. So we actually need more granularity in certain areas than mm. what the standard categorizations would give you. Mm. And how do you feel? You mentioned
0: there, uh, like working with marketing people. Do you get any sense for how the marketing people felt working with you? I, I, kind I of think. It thought, was, yeah, yeah. I think I
1: think I certainly rubbed most of them the, the wrong way. I think. I remember one of my first meetings with, um, with marketing, I, I remember sitting there and, and describing something about, about emails, and I remember at a certain moment, I think I just sort of put my hand on and said, I've got it, I, I, you're, you're gonna spam all these people, aren't you? You know, and I did, everybody sort of nodded, sort of shaking their heads and, in, in disgust, and you know. <laughs> But, you know there are a lot of these cultural things. It's, it's, very, it's very hard to to be to be aware and be sensitive about when you come from a very different background. So I think a lot of what I've learned from that is how to sort of bridge the gap, as you're saying earlier between the more technical people and some of those ideas and the people who are trying to put them into practice in the business.
0: Yeah. So you you've been there uh, 5 years and you, and you haven't been sacked, yet, So you must you must be doing something right and you haven't rubbed the wrong person the wrong way quite yet. Um, what what kind of things uh, keep you awake at night now? What, what are the kind of things that you're working on that um, are kind of really yeah. challenging for you?
1: Yeah, well a lot of a lot of what we're focusing on right now is more how do we sort of democratize access to data within our own business? So you know how do we how do we allow people in their own business areas to be able to explore data and make decisions without them having to say come to a, an engineer or a data science person and say you know oh I'd like I'd like to build a report about uh, customer acquisition channels or I'd like to build a report about um I don't know sales, uh, sales activities, or I'd like to understand uh, the behaviour of users in this particular segment. Which kinds of activities they've done in the application. So we've been sort of starting to focus on the sort of data platform side of things, building up our, our data collection and analysis. We've started to use Amazon Redshift as a data warehouse, and we've been exploring some business intelligence tools, and even doing a few little SQL courses for people in sales and marketing to teach them how to write their own queries, which has actually been really popular.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. Actually, that the business people themselves are kind of buying into this and, yeah. and getting their own hands dirty and trying to extract data and, yeah. and manipulate it themselves.
1: So, obviously, when you started, you were the first one there. How many are the uh, of you now? So, we're, we're two data scientists now, and we work with several others, of in the broader engineering team and building up some of the some of the platform work. So, we're still a very small team. Yeah. we have actually got a, got an open position for a, for another that we're hiring for at the moment. Yeah. So this Brilliant. is even, I
0: was really, yeah, really keen to kind of ask you about it because, of course, you know, we the data lab, we, we see and hear a lot about people hiring, but it's a great chance for me to ask you because you are at the moment looking to hire people into the data science team. What, what kind of things is it that you really look for in a in a data scientist, and that, and you will be looking for when you interview people uh, yeah. when the CVs start to arrive?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, so I mean, we run a summer internship as well. So for that, I've had about. 200 applicants this year so it's so popular there's a lot of people out there interested in this sort of thing and for the full-time position you know we've had about 50 applicants so far and what I tend to see that differentiates the good ones the ones that I want to talk to uh, from from the others is the ones who are sort of interested in the domain and interested in the problems we're trying to solve and how we can work on solving them, rather than let's say the ones who just say, "Well, I'm an expert in machine learning. I'd like I'd like a job in machine learning. You know, can I come and work at your company?" But the ones who say, "Well, you know, I I've got these tools. I can help you. You know, I can help you to solve problems. I'd like to understand. You know, what the data means and think about communicating that to the business." So it's really on the softer side. I think that's the differentiating factor.
0: So do the people that you're the CVs that you're seeing. I mean, do a lot of people have? Um Previous experience, because data science as a field, as we know, is is quite young still. But um, people may have been doing business analysis in the past or or business intelligence. So, are the, are the CVs that you're seeing that appeal to you? Do, do they do they tend to be from people who've got some previous commercial experience, or or, or are you kind of getting people straight yeah. off of MSC courses that you're also interested in speaking yeah. to?
1: yeah we get we get a mixture I think you know we have some people who may have you know master's phd or postdoctoral experience and, and little commercial experience we have others who you know who have maybe even you know grown their career towards the data or analytics side in a in a big business and are looking for new opportunities and I think you know, honestly, while there's a, there's a big and get sort of correlation versus causation, I suppose, but there, there, and there's certainly a correlation between people being in data science now and maybe, you know, having PhDs in particle physics or something like that. I certainly know a few, mm-hmm. but that's not to say that's a requirement. I don't. I wouldn't say that somebody having that background puts them above somebody else, provided they can demonstrate, you know, the ability, the understanding of problems, you know, some technical skills. I want somebody who can write code, but more, uh, moreover, I want somebody who, whether they've done it in an academic background or a commercial one, somebody who can take a problem, you know, be given something, can take a problem, can have a conversation with the stakeholders about it, understand what they need to do, and then put that into practice and come back later, you know, or during the, the process with the solution rather than just sort of trying to go away into a corner and, and work on it in isolation.
0: I know different businesses have different ways of recruiting data scientists I mean, it seems quite typical these days for Maybe telephone interviews, technical interviews, even uh, people will present homework challenges mm. for, for people to do prior to even meeting them face-to-face. What, what is your process with free agent for the, for the new hire?
1: Yeah, so uh, what we'll do is, is an so application with a CV and covering letter, then uh, the ones that we review, you know, they seem to be qualified, we'll typically do a, re- a really short telephone call with, which isn't technical at all, it's mainly just a chance for us to sort of ask a few questions about the back Background, you know, of the person, give them a chance to talk to us, tell them a bit about how the process would work, and just see if there could be an overlap there, you know, potentially you know tackle any you know any immediate questions that might might make it a, a go or a no go and then if're if we 're if we're happy at that point we' typically move to giving a, a small homework task where we have a little data analysis problem that 's sort of representative of one of the kind of things that we might work on day to day and it 's not something we expect a very detailed solution and again to be honest with you we, we don 't really worry too much about you know the performance of the, of the solution to the problem it 's more being able to understand the logical reasoning that the applicant has applied, whether or not they can explain what they did, because we asked them to present it back to us, their method and their results. You know, Do we think they've come to a sound scientific conclusion? Or has it been more just about you know checking out some code and and, and running a, a machine learning model and sort of saying, OK, good, there's the answer. So we're looking for a bit more deep understanding. Yes, and that. some kind of
0: some kind of sign maybe that the applicant has engaged with the problem that they're solving and they're not just taking a kind of cookie cutter approach of, well, I'm going to use this tool to apply to this problem yeah. and, and not really actually uh, put any kind yeah. of emotion into the, yeah. into the problem
1: itself. Yeah, because ultimately I think we want people, and we, as a small company, you know, we work on a very diverse set of problems with a very diverse set of people, and so we, we want somebody who is sort of able to take something you know, and and really be quite thoughtful about what that is, what the scope should be, you know, what what the science behind it really needs to be able to do because, you know, sometimes that could be a matter of simply having a conversation with somebody and in other cases it could be a matter of building a full-blown piece of software and getting that into production Mm. and having having that judgment to be able to decide what's
0: appropriate. Well, any, any listener who's heard more than one of these podcasts that I've done will know that my personal hobby horse is about the soft skills side of data science mm-hmm. and I think that's something that is maybe not uh, promoted enough really, but this, this idea that actually you can solve problems just by speaking to people and, or maybe yeah. even connecting yeah. two other people within a business to speak yeah. to each other and, and, and your first uh, port of coal needn't be some kind of fancy machine learning algorithm to, to solve a business yeah. problem
1: it's It's amazing actually how often really sim- when, when somebody's got nothing to start with, which is often the case, it's amazing how often a really simple solution can just can just you know put delight onto the faces of people. I mean a, a couple of days ago i was I was working on a problem for some of the marketing team about predicting uh, subscriptions from different marketing acquisition channels. And really, you know, while it was often talked about in grandiose terms, it was was effectively just a a very simple sort of logistic regression-esque model, Mm -hmm. you know, with a a very small number of parameters, which could then easily be coded up into a a report view that they could see. And it's like, wow, you know, this is amazing, you know, we have so much more information than we had before now. Now we can actually make decisions based on this thing. Whereas if it was a matter of going away and refining the, you know, the, the machine learning for many years, doing something very fancy, a it might have been harder to get it actually in front of people, and b maybe by the time it had, it may have been too late.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things I always find fascinating as well is that actually for all the. The talk of uh, fancy algorithms actually—it's it's quite often just the sort of simple logistic regressions, linear regressions—that actually, mm. you know, are, are sufficient to make the, the differences and have a business impact.
1: Yeah, and it's—it's really—it's—it's it's really interesting. I mean, I've been to a few conferences, and I, th- I think I've heard that from even some some quite large players that actually, where it comes to it, in production, where you've got to take into account, you know, maintainability, simplicity, understandability actually do, you know, doing a simple thing has benefits. It's not just about a final accuracy number. You have to take into account the holistic picture of what you want to do with something.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's really, really interesting. And just to mention the internships you do, how, how, you find, how have you found those then for the people have you uh, you know got to, to people that you want to make offers to from having sort of yeah. seen them work in, in Yeah
1: well it's, it's it's been a really great success for us actually so we did our first summer internship in uh, summer 2015 and uh, the person who came to us then was coming from a, a mathematics and statistics background and after the summer we actually made her a, a job offer and she became our, our second uh, full-time data scientist so that was great mm and then you know over the subsequent summers we we've, we've been able to do some really great great projects it's it's kind of a chance for us to you know enlarge the team a little bit and to work on you know some interesting projects that ordinarily wouldn't get prioritized so mm. and i think from the point of view of the interns it's a good chance for them to see what it's really like doing this in a an actual business and sort of a, do some professional development sure so you've got the you've got the one open position
0: i don't know how much you're able to say at the moment but i think there's some Plans afoot with uh, free agent that it may be scaling up. So maybe maybe in the future there might be uh, a few more open positions coming online. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I mean, it, it's been announced that RBS have made an offer to, to take over free agent, which is a huge deal for us. And uh, I think all I can say really is that over the next you know year or so, I'm I'm really hopeful that it will be it will mean you know great great things for the data team. I mean, obviously you know. Data and, and analytics is going to be a big part of our future success as a as a business
0: sure and and on a more general scope then as you look towards the future what what are the kind of things that uh, that interest you when you get your crystal ball out and look into the yeah. next sort of three or five years
1: yeah so I, I think one of the things that 's really interesting right now is that you know we 're seeing a lot of sort of commoditization of some of the tooling that that previously has required a lot more expertise so I think, you know, with what, you know, a lot of the, the cloud platforms like Google and, and Amazon, AWS are doing you know we're seeing a lot of commoditization of access to machine learning a lot of democratization of access to machine learning you know and artificial intelligence techniques so i think it'll be really interesting to see how businesses start to employ that stuff as more a matter of routine and how that changes the uh, you know the field of data scientists perhaps from now people have a perception whether or not it's true people have a perception of data scientists being the ones who are implementing these very clever machine learning algorithms i think I would imagine the field is going to go a lot more towards the communication understanding of problems, the domain understanding, you know, people, their field will be what they're working in. So, you know, someone who's working on, you know, recommendation systems in the context of marketing or experimentation within the context of sales, their field may be marketing or sales, but from a, you know, from a numerical or a scientific point of view. So I think we'll see, we'll see a lot more of that. It'll be very interesting to see how that changes.
0: Do you think there's a there's a fear that um, with these data platforms that people may use them without really fully understanding what's going on under the hood, and and uh, maybe there's a hope that for the people who really do understand this that they get added benefits from using the platform. Yeah,
1: well, absolutely. I think with all things, whether you know whether they be uh, simple or complicated, the biggest difference between being able to, uh, you know, to truly get value from something is understanding why you're doing it, rather than simply uh, carrying out the rituals that you observe other people doing. I mean, I've been I've been doing a few talks lately about the, the so-called cargo cult science, you know, where you know people people carry out ritualistic actions in the hope that it will generate results for them, uh, you know, which, which obviously is simply not true. You have to understand the scientific background, why you do something, how it works before you can effectively employ it. it I think it will just take out a lot of the, much like free agent is trying to take the drudgery out of accounting. I think the fact that you know there, there are good libraries out there to implement tools that are you know, firmly debugged already will take some of the drudgery out of applying machine learning algorithms.
0: Yeah, and it's the convenience which generally tends to win out in, with technology in the end actually that um, if you're faced with using a platform, you can get some answers really quickly versus having to cobble together some code yourself to solve the problem and um, it just with a convenience factor, which particularly in a commercial environment, I would assume uh, is going to be really key to getting quick answers and uh, and quicker insights. Yeah,
1: and I think the more more time we can spend focusing on what problems actually are, you know, in the domain side of things, I think the more useful the work is going to be you know if you can really engage with people and speak to them in their own language then I think they're much more likely to adopt what you're saying and to, to, to trust your findings than if you sort of show up with a you know a rather over-technical description of, of what you've done but in a different in a different different language to what they're used to hearing yeah Dave unfortunately we're out of time now it's been really great chatting to you
0: I could I could chat at greater length but um, this was Dave Evans, Data Science Team Lead at Free Agent. Uh, it's been brilliant, uh, as I say, chatting to you. Uh, for anybody listening who wants to find out more about the roles uh, at Free Agent, I'm sure I could direct you to the website, which is uh, freeagent.com/jobs. Freeagent. Okay. Uh, so uh, this was me, Richard Carter, Data Scientist at the Data Lab. Another interview coming up soon. Thanks very much for listening.